and amen. There was a college student who needed to finish out his schedule, and he needed a one-hour course, the only one that he was willing to go to. The others were way too early in the morning. Was wildlife zoology. He thought, well, I don't know much about wildlife zoology, but it will be an easy course. Boy, was he wrong. The professor was, shall we say, a bit eccentric. And after two weeks, four class periods, and three chapters, the professor gave an unexpected quiz. It was a sheet of paper that had a grid, and inside each of the squares on the grid were a pair of bird legs. Not bird bodies, not bird beaks, not bird feet, but bird legs. The assignment was to identify the birds. Well, the young man looked down at this grid of bird legs, and the longer he looked at it, the angrier he got. The angrier he got, the more flustered and frustrated he became, and finally he thought, I don't really care anymore, and he grabbed his sheet of paper, and he went up to the professor's desk, and he slammed it down, and he said, this is the most ridiculous class I have ever taken, and you are the worst professor that I have ever had. The professor got flustered. He turned red in the face. The young man began to walk away, and the professor said, Young man, you have, you have just failed this exam, and you have failed this class. He looked at the paper, and he realized that the young man had not signed his name at the top. He said, Who are you? And the young man pulled up his pants, revealing his legs, and he said, You identify me. So let's be real today. We've come here, you've come here, for the same reason that you come every Sunday morning, to worship God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Sunday is a little Easter. We celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. It's a new day. It's a new time. It's when Christians worship. So we've come here to worship the living Lord. But if we're real, you're here also with a little bit of curiosity. Who has the bishop sent to us? What is this guy like? We've seen his picture, and he's bald. I am, in fact, bald. I considered getting a toupee and starting afresh. My family would disown me if I did so. I'm bald. I'm happy with it. Some of you know people that I know or know people who know people that I know and they've told you things about me, some of which are probably true and some of which may well be exaggerations. There's just a few degrees of separation. There's one theory out there that any two people on the planet have no more than six degrees of separation from each other. This came to mind as I was standing in the desert of Judea several years ago and I was listening to the man behind me speak. And I thought to myself, that accent is Johnston County, North Carolina. And I turned around and I asked him, do you know my brother-in-law from Johnston County? He said, yeah, we've worked together for several years. I said, I knew. I knew I recognized you when you spoke. So some of you 
know a little about me or think you know a little about me because someone told someone who told someone who told you, but I'm here. The truth is, it's going to take us a while to get to know each other. Real relationships are built over time. They take time to unfold. They unfold naturally. They unfold sometimes in in ways that are constructed, but, but they take time. And I think that we'll have time to get to know each other in the coming weeks and months, in the coming years. It'll take time, but anything that's important is worth making time for. And so I come to you, and to reduce the mystery just a bit, if I had to tell you three things about myself that would help you to understand who I am, I would tell you, number one, God has given me in my life four gifts. Now, God has given me many, many more than four gifts, but if I had to look back in my biography and identify four ways that God has touched me and blessed me, here are what those four ways would be. Number one, I don't really remember a time when I didn't have some kind of awareness of God. My earliest memory of God was lying down in my grandfather's front yard and and looking up at the constellations in the sky and recognizing that I was very, very small and that the universe was was enormous and immense in a way that I could not fathom, and yet I felt that I was known, known personally. At age 15, I had an encounter with God that that changed my life. I cried out to God, and in biblical language, he answered. The death of a family member, I needed comfort. And God flooded my heart with love, which led to an entire experience of God's grace and forgiveness. So so number one is my relationship with God is God's gift to me. Number two, my wife and my family. Now, Melinda and I have been dating since we were 16 years old. I have never been on a date with anybody besides my wife. Now, to those of you who are 15 and 16 and 17 years old, that's not necessarily the way it needs to be for you. In fact, there are very few people that I would recommend take that approach, and yet, yet it worked for us. Melinda and our children and those who have come into our lives as our children, they're God's gift to me. Through my family, through my marriage, God has shown me what forgiveness looks like, what life in community looks like, in some ways what God himself looks like through a love that is relentless, a love that is compassionate and caring. The third gift that God has given me is that God accompanied me when I was 30 years old through a season of major depression. It was nothing circumstantial. It was simply a season when I felt that life was was spiraling out of control and what God 
taught me in that season was number one, sometimes you need help and it's okay to get help. Number two, a kind of humility of turning to others and listening to others. I learned that all truth is God's truth. Whether that truth is psychiatry or whether that truth is geology or whether that truth comes from economics. All truth is God's truth and may be received as Christians with gratitude because God wants his truth to enrich our lives. And the fourth gift that God has given me is the gift of good friends. Good friends who can tell me, man, that's just dumb. Don't, don't go there. Don't do that. Good friends that make me a better version of myself. Good friends that are there when I make the right choices and there when sometimes I don't. Number one, God's given me, God's given me these extraordinary gifts. The second thing uh, that you need to, to know about me uh, is the second thing that you need to know about me is that I intend to be here for a long time. I know I'm your third pastor that's come in in a very brief period of time, but I am committed to being here in Danville. Um, our family commitment is such that a large portion of our savings is now invested in a house. Our commitment is such that even though uh, Melinda could have gotten a math teaching job in one of the neighboring counties, we want to be a part of this community, and Melinda will be teaching at Danville High School mathematics in the coming year. We intend to be here for the long term. Of course, being United Methodist, we go where the bishop sends us. I've never been anywhere, the bishop has never sent me anywhere, that I haven't grown and that I haven't loved being. And any place where people love God and any place where God is at work is a place where I can be at home. And third, over the coming weeks and months, and years, I want to share with you the idea that Randy Maddox, who was a professor of Wesleyan studies, calls responsible grace. That is, that one of the greatest realities in all the world is God's grace. But we receive that grace in a way that is responsible. What does it mean to be responsible? Well, it remain, means to be responsible. We are able to respond to God's gift to us. We are able to respond to what God is doing in our lives. We are able to respond to the grace that comes to us day after day after day. If you had a cup of coffee this morning, that is a gift from God to you. I am passionate about my coffee. 
I love my coffee, and the fact that I don't have coffee in my hand right now makes me wonder, what am I supposed to do with this hand at this moment? I love a cup of coffee, and it's a gift of God to me, and it's a gift of God to you. It's why we say grace at mealtime. We know that a farmer planted the seed and harvested the seed. We know that those who ship things from the East Coast to the West Coast or from Chile to the United States uh, had a hand in bringing the food to us. We know that the grocers packaged and presented it for us. And yet, when we sit down at the table, we know that somehow this fact that a seed can be planted in the earth and can become a plant that bears fruit is a gift from God and we simply say to God thank you. Thank you is a response to God's grace. It is a response to God's love. Back to our text. Our text for the morning from Philippians. C.S. Lewis says if you read verse 12 alone, you would think that we were responsible for our entire salvation. Therefore, just as you've always obeyed me, not only in my presence, Paul says, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That sounds a lot like works righteousness. That sounds like we are called to do something. But C.S. Lewis says, if you read the next verse you would think that it was all God's idea. For it is God who is at work in you, enabling you to both will, to want, to desire, and to work for his good pleasure. So there is this tension between God's call and our response, and in the United Methodist Church, Randy Maddox says this is responsible grace. Who is responsible? God will always keep God's part of the covenant. And we are to respond. I love the story from a hospital administrator in Georgia who said that one of the patients in the hospital spilled a cup of water next to his bed and he was afraid that he was going to slip down and fall and so he called the nurse's aide. And she came in, and what the patient didn't know was that they had a policy in the hospital. If it was a small spill, the nurse's aide was to deal with it. If it was a large spill, then housekeeping was to deal with it. And the nurse's aide came in, and she said, this is, this is a large spill, not my area Housekeeping came in and said, no, this is much too small to be considered a large spill. And there beside the bed, there was this argument that erupted over whether it was a small spill or a large spill, whose responsibility it was to take care of the spill. And finally, the patient just took the pitcher of water that was at his bedside and dumped it on the ground. He said, can you agree now? Housekeeping said, that's a large one. We'll take it from there. So how is it that we as Christians are to be molded in our lives? I got some clay from the children's sermon here. How is it that we are to be transformed into the image of Christ? How is it that God does his work in us? 
In John's gospel, Jesus said, the thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have life abundantly. How is it that we encounter this abundant life? It is that we recognize, receive the grace of God and we respond to that grace. We respond by saying thank you when we see one of God's gifts. Now God's gifts are way too plentiful for us to to recognize every one of them. The fact that we awoke this morning and this borrowed breath that God has breathed into humanity This inhaling and exhaling that we do without even thinking about. This is a gift from God. Your breakfast in the sight of your neighbor is a gift from God. Well, it depends on your neighbor, I guess. The fact that we are here singing hymns is a gift from God that we can gather so one way that we respond to God's grace is through gratitude. But, but, but look at what Paul says. It is God who is at work in you, enabling you to will. Sometimes your desires are holy desires. Sometimes God places a desire in your heart to, to do something. And maybe you've been an empty nester for 18 months now and you feel like this isn't right. Maybe your response to God should be to contact a foster care agency or to volunteer at the high school or to do some kind of coaching with, with children's athletics. Maybe, maybe you believe that God has given you a gift of, of generosity and you don't quite know how to express that, but suddenly God's put it on your mind, someone you encountered last week or the week before, and maybe your response to God placing that on your heart is to go and to be generous. Maybe your life is falling apart and you need to make a phone call tomorrow because that abundant life isn't the life that you're experiencing. God's grace is extending to you in this moment. God's grace is enabling you to to will and to work for God's good pleasure. God's grace is calling for your response. How will you respond? What phone call will you make? What step will you take to see if your dream is God's dream, what will you do to be responsive to what God is doing in your heart and in your life? God's grace has brought us together. And I intend for God's grace on my part to keep us together as long as the Lord wills, as long as you will have us, And as long as the bishop says, stay. And I hope, I hope that's a long and prosperous time for us and for the kingdom of God in this place. God's grace is here. God's grace is available to every creature. And God's grace is calling 
for your response. Your response may be difficult. It may be an obedience that, that calls for great sacrifice. But as we obey God and listen to God and respond to God's grace, we are like that clay that is molded by the potter into the image of Christ. And we reflect God's kingdom and the image of Jesus into the world around us. What's your response? In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.